0: Hello and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I'll give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today I would like to introduce you to Jessie Renee Gibbs. She's the author of Girl Hidden, her heart-wrenching memoir, growing up with a narcissistic parent and eventually escaping to Chicago, which brought its own troubles. She's now in Seattle, living her best life, able to figure out who she really is. And, you know, we've been chatting here for a while about what she's up to now. So it's been great to get to know Jesse. Jesse, why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit more about you and your story?
1: Hi, thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, So I started writing a book uh, 25 years ago, because when you tell somebody that you've been kidnapped twice, It starts a good conversation, usually with them going, though, huh? (laughs) So (laughs) um, I started writing my story because my mother is a narcissist and um, her version of events don't match up with reality in a very real way. Um, I was born in Rota, Spain. My mother was in the military. Uh, She thought she was going to be able to get out of the military by being pregnant. But she had me before she was actually able to be um, uh, completely out of the military. And they said, hey, uh, since you've already had the baby, we're going to keep you in the military. She was in the Navy. And so she said, well, if I keep the baby, then I can't, can't go back. And so she told the adoptive parents no. And because she already had an adoption set up, um, I would have been her seventh abortion. She was 19. Um, So she had six pregnancies before me, um, and then she had me. And then after I was born, she spent the next three months trying to starve me to death. And that brings its own trauma. (sighs) And my uh, grandmother and grandfather paid for her to fly back to Vashon Island, Washington, which is a tiny little island off of Seattle. And I lived with my grandma and grandpa until I was five. When I was five years old, I had um, an extremely high IQ. Uh, They were actually watching me for autism, which there's a good chance I'm on the spectrum still. Um, But that also means that I had a lot of anxiety and uh, depression, even as a small person. And so I was kind of a high needs kid. And my grandfather had just retired. He was a Navy man and he had just retired and he was kind of not interested necessarily in having a high needs child in his life. And so my mother had moved from Vashon. She had left when I was two and lived in North Carolina and she had gotten married. She was part of a cult, uh, the shepherding community down there and had two babies, two boys at that point and was pregnant. And she was like, I want my baby back. And my grandmother said, absolutely not. You are not getting this child. This is not acceptable. And so she contacted her dad and said, daddy, please, I want my baby back. And grandpa was like, I have a free pass to not have this high needs child in my life. And so grandma flew me to North Carolina and dropped me off like at the airport. We met my mother and my stepfather and my two little brothers and grandma handed me my timmy bear and got back on the plane and so i went home with these people and the plan was that i was going to be there for three months as sort of a testing ground and i immediately got put in the position of caretaker for both my brothers and my mother Um, my stepfather at that point started treating me like his girlfriend in every way imaginable um with my mother's knowledge she would basically They would go into the boys room and sing them Christian songs and pray with them before bed and then they would come into my room and pray with me and then Mama would go back to her room and leave Papa in my room until he was satisfied, whatever that looks like. So almost two years later, it was 18 months. Um, It took a while for me to figure out how long I was actually there. Um, But I have the documents. Once I started writing the book, my grandmother started sending me boxes and she ended up sending me almost 45 boxes full of court documents and FBI files, letters. I have every letter that my mother wrote when she was pregnant with me and after she was pregnant with me, talking about how she wanted to kill me um, as an infant and how demanding I was and how, you know, how dare she... Um, how dare she demand food at her convenience? I will feed her when I'm ready, that kind of thing. So reading through those words, wow. Uh, (laughs) Lord. And so... I lived with the tailors for 18 months and my grandmother finally flew out to check on me. Um, My mother had been sending her letters back, ripped pieces, had turned off the phone. So she didn't have access to me. She basically completely cut me off from my aunties, from my uncle and from both of my grandparents for 18 months. And my grandmother finally sent her a letter and said, I'm on a plane next week. I'm, I'm coming down there. I have full custody of Jessie, which she did. She had all the paperwork signed. So she had full custody of me. And so she showed up. And my mother had trained me at that point on what I was and wasn't allowed to say regarding Papa. So grandma took me out to lunch and was like, there's something wrong, we need to talk about it. And I told her everything about what was going on with Papa. And she made a plan, we made a plan together to escape. So my mother is five foot 10, she's a big girl. She looks like me, but like eight inches taller. My stepfather is uh, was a Marine at six foot two and both of them were violent. So we didn't want, and my grandmother's five foot nothing and 120 pounds dripping wet. And she's like, there's no safe way for me to get you out of this situation unless we sneak so she we made a plan and she was like what we're going to do is I'm going to drop you off at school I'm going to tell mom and papa I'm going to drop you off at school and then I'm going to go to the airport so we went to the school which she was paying for as a private christian school and she was paying for it and she um which I hadn't been going which that's another part of the story um but we went to the school and told the principal and the teachers like hey jesse I have the rights to jesse and I'm taking her with me back to washington So we flew back to washington state my parents didn't find out until they went to pick me up at school later in the day fast forward six months my mother was the national director of an organization called weba women exploited by abortion and she met the she was the north carolina director and she met the national director mary sue and they became fast friends and she told Mary Sue that I was being abused by my grandparents, that I had been stolen from them, all of this. So it's Christmas time. It's, it was December 7th, 1985. And I was listening to Bing Crosby's Christmas album. And there was a knock on the door. So my grandparents had gone for a walk. They lived in a retirement um, trailer park. And so they would walk down to the little postal area and pick up their mail every day. And it gave them kind of an opportunity to keep one eye on the trailer because it was just around the corner, but it gave them the opportunity to actually have a breather from a high needs child. And so I was listening to Bing Crosby, had my big old headphones on and was dancing around in my dress up clothes. And there was a knock on the door and I answered the door and there was a stranger there and she said, come quickly, your mommy's in the car and i went i was 7 and i said no i don't go with strangers and she looked all surprised and she goes you're a very good girl they'd been tracking me for 3 days they'd been following my bus back and forth to school they knew when my grandma and grandpa went for a walk they knew where both of them worked less than 30 seconds later the door burst open and my mother all five foot 10 of her came slamming through the door, grabbed me by the arm, and dragged me kicking and screaming down the stairs. I was covered in splinters from trying to hold on to the steps and threw me in the back of the car where she had my nine-month-old little brother because she was a nursing mother and couldn't leave the baby. So she brought the baby on a kidnapping excursion. She immediately started screaming at me as Mary Sue peeled out of the parking lot to shut the hell up because you're upsetting your little brother. This is my fault that I'm reacting to this situation. We drove from Kent, Washington, down to Portland, Oregon, crossing state lines with a minor, making it a federal offense, uh, felony kidnapping, and the FBI immediately got involved. By the time my grandparents got back from the walk, there were six police cars because the neighbor had called the police. I didn't see my grandmother again for almost 20 years. My um, mother and Mary Sue and I stayed at a friend of Weba's house that night. And I just remember when we pulled in, I remember there was a light on in the window and it made me feel safe for a moment. And we went into the house and got settled for bed and the baby fell asleep and Mary Sue fell asleep. So it was just mama and I. And she was seething with fury at me. She's like, what did you, why would you go? Why would you leave? Why would you leave? And I said, well, here's what's going on with Papa. I'm not comfortable in this situation. I think this is wrong. And there was a silence in the room. And my mother said, oh, God, tell me you didn't tell your grandmother that. That was the only time we ever talked about it. Robert didn't touch me again. But he still treated me like his girlfriend. I was raised in the purity culture. And so dating was obviously off the table. But I was told by my parents that it was my responsibility to prepare for marriage, even as a small child. And to do that, you needed to practice with your daddy in every way you can imagine. So we held hands when we went places. He would put his arm around me. He would show me off to his friends, especially as I started developing into a young woman. Um, We went to uh, the same college. He started going to college the same time I did when I was uh, 16. And we got asked all the time how long we'd been a couple. Like, this is how we acted around each other. It was deeply sick. When I was 19, so um, I'm the oldest of eight, grew up on a farm. I lost my memory after the kidnapping. Um, everything except the kidnapping, I remembered the kidnapping and I remembered that Papa was dangerous. So that kept me safe from both of them in some way. Like, I, I made a point to not be alone with him in the house. Um, I would, I I was very cautious about what I wore to bed, that kind of thing. And I took care of my siblings. My mother collected unwed mothers because this is part of her religious beliefs is to keep people from having abortions. So she would collect unwed mothers, bring them into our home, convince them that they could not keep the baby and then gift these babies to other people. Like, for example, when I was 14, we had a 16 year old living with us who was a white girl who was pregnant with a black man's baby, which in the south in the 80s was especially in our small town where they had Ku Klux Klan rallies. Completely inappropriate. Bad scene. Her parents had disowned her because of this. Um, She had a minor offense that ended her up in jail. My mother bailed her out of jail and brought the 16-year-old child into our home. And Autumn gave birth on my bed. She woke me up in the morning and she's like, I don't feel good. I'm like, I was 14. So I turned my light on and I'm like, well, do you want to like climb into bed with me? And we'll just sit here and talk until you feel better. And she's like, yeah. So she climbs into bed with me and I'm like, how you doing? She's like, I feel okay. And then like two minutes later, she's like, I don't feel good anymore. I feel okay. I'm like, wait a minute. I've, I'm the oldest of eight. I've been around enough pregnant women. I know what this is like. Okay. So let's start timing how long you don't feel good. And she was in labor. So she had the baby and then promptly started hemorrhaging after the baby was born. Um, We had a midwife there who was not legal. That's how my mother rolls. And Autumn gave birth and started bleeding out on my bed. My mother took the baby from her arms, took the baby downstairs, little girl, little Grace, handed her to the adoptive parents who got in the car and left. We called 911. The emergency services showed up, realized that there was a recently pregnant woman who was dying and there was no baby. So they called in the canine units and accused our family of burying a baby on the property because There was no records. This was the one time in all the babies that my mother had passed off to friends and people that she liked. Um, This was the one time that my mother actually had legal documentation. So we had to wait for those documents to come through uh, before they would let her go. So when I was 19, I was working at the radio station. I was the only female DJ on four radio stations. Thank you very much. And uh, I was actually... Uh, six weeks away from my photo shoot because I was taking over the morning show for a hundred thousand watt FM top 40 station that covered four states. Like I was kind of the shit in radio and I loved every minute of it. But my mother said that I was getting too worldly and I needed to come home, learn how to make quilts. I'm not exaggerating, learn how to make quilts and finish raising my siblings. Cause I was teaching them school. We were all home educated because if you go to school with bruises, somebody's going to notice. And I was 18 years old. I was a week away from my 19th birthday. It was the day before my last day on the radio. And I got in a fight with my 14 year old little brother. And I got a spanking from my stepfather, bent me over the table. And I measured beating as more like it for having a bad attitude. And I remember thinking, Um, this is wrong. Something about this is wrong. This is the one thing that I can look at and go, this isn't right. I'm an adult. This is not okay. So I packed my bags, cleaned my room, because of course you can't leave a mess, and said goodbye to all of my brothers and sisters that night and went to work. I was going to take the van. We had a 15-passenger van that I would drive to work a half hour away. Cause we, we, um, we lived way out in the sticks. Like we were a 10 minute walk from the nearest house on 18 acres of land in the foothills of the Blue Ridge mountains, beautiful land. Um, but I would drive a half hour into town to work at the radio station. And my parents showed up while I was on air, raided my office, found my bag, realized that I was leaving. Broke into the radio station, like literally walked into the studio while I was on air and started cussing me out. So I put the radio station like I'm over here, like working to get the radio station set up so that it would run without me so that I could still do my job and be responsible. Um, put it out on the computer and turned around to face them. And they spent three hours literally calling me every name in the book, insisting that I was possessed by demons. <sighs> So after three hours, Papa convinced Mama to leave, which is a lot. Nobody tells Mama what to do. So she left and she went home, drove the half hour home. Papa turned to me and he's like, are you pregnant? No. Are you on drugs? No. Are you on your period? Really? Really? This is the conversation we're having right now? Can we talk about the fact that you just gave me a beating as a, sorry, no, I'm not on my period. Well, then what, what's going on? I'm like, how are you surprised that I want to leave? How, how is this startling to you? And he's like, well, what's your plan? And I'm like, I'm going to go to Michigan to Mary Sue's house because they were still friends. And I'm going to go to the Jesus people in Chicago, which is an inner city commune in Chicago. Because I really wanted to do right. And I knew that somebody at Chapuza, the Jesus people, would tell me if I was being a bad girl and I needed to go home and take care of my brothers and sisters. And Papa convinced me to come home that night. I got home, and there was a note on the door from my little brother. And it said, Sissy, please don't leave. We're sorry we've been bad we promised to clean the house and i went in and they all crowded around me and i went upstairs to my room because i didn't want to see mama and i sat down on the bed and my babyist brother judah who i was there when he was born sat down next to me he was seven and he put his arms around me and started sobbing and he's like sissy i'm so sorry i've been bad Please don't leave. Like, buddy, you haven't been bad. And then my little sister, who I delivered, climbed up on my lap. She put her knees on my lap, tears streaming down her face with big brown eyes. She holds my face in her hands. She looks at me and she goes, sissy, do you have demons? No, baby girl, I don't have demons. She's like, okay, because I prayed to Jesus, I prayed to Jesus that you would stay home. So my mother had a half an hour between the time that she left and the time that I got home. And she spent that time telling my siblings that it was their fault. And gaslighting them, setting them up for failure. Setting them up for my choice to leave, creating a trauma in their life. And it did. So I left. And I, 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 it took about a week, but I, I stayed with another family friend who prayed with me and did Bible studies with me and walked me through everything. And she was like, I think you need to leave. This was a family friend who had watched my mother raise me. And she was like, no, nah, we'll get you to Jabuza. So I went out to Mary Sue's. And from there, I went to the Jesus people, which was literally out of the frying pan directly into the fire. Because here I was in another situation where somebody was telling me how to live my life. Down to what I was wearing. Is your bra strap showing? You know you have too much cleavage in that t-shirt. That shirt's a little tight on you, don't you think? What do you mean you're hanging out with so-and-so? And I... I met the man that I eventually married. He was 12 years older than me. He'd never, he'd had one girlfriend his entire life. He was in his thirties and I was 19. Um, But I was perfectly set up to be groomed. I had been prepped by my stepfather and by my mother that it was my job to take care of my husband, specifically an older man. I was very comfortable in that situation so I married Leonard, we had a big, beautiful wedding, and I outgrew him within three years. We were married for 10. So I was 32 years old when I finally left the Jesus People. And I moved out to Seattle. There was quite a bit of drama that preceded me leaving. And when everything came out, I called my best friend, June, who I had known since she she was 16 and I was 21. And she is married, two kids, big house. And I called her up and I said, hey, this drama has gone down. And I need to leave. I can't be here and I don't know what to do. She's like, I will buy, buy you a plane ticket. You're coming to Seattle. So I flew out to Seattle and started my life for the first time. And that's a very, very slimmed down and edited version of my story and where I came from.
0: And so you have, you know, all those records from your grandparents or, you know, the things you were able to block out, you know, you were able to kind of figure out where, where, where and when did these things happen? And, you know, between the kidnappings and the abuse, it was obviously quite a lot. And The path you took in young adulthood, while not great, probably not surprising with the upbringing that you had. Very much. So then what was it like getting to Seattle and you alluded to then being able to see your grandmother again?
1: I was able to see my grandmother again. She was the most amazing woman. Very stoic. Teeny tiny little redhead. Grandpa said that he's only seen her mad twice. And he's like, the first time was when mama kidnapped me. And the second time was his fault. And he goes, like, he blanches and is like, I don't ever want to see that again. They were married for 52 years. And he was like, I've only seen her mad twice. And I'm, I'm, uh, you don't want to, uh-uh. Um, we talked uh, a lot about all of the things that had happened in my memories. And then comparing my memories to the facts that she had. And that was in the middle of bits and pieces during the time when I was writing the book. Um, But I remember sitting there and my grandfather just kept staring at me and I was like, what you looking at old man, what's happening right now? And he goes, I'm just in awe of the young woman that you've become. And I'm like, well, thank you. And he goes, but I'm realizing that there's a seven year old little girl that I have lost. And I'm going to have to mourn that because she doesn't exist anymore. Okay. We talked about the experience of him letting me go to North Carolina, letting mama have have, um, custody of me even for a short time. And he very much apologized. He was heartbroken when he found out what happened with Robert. And I don't think it's something that he's ever really gotten over. Which on the one hand is hard, on the other hand, I'm kind of okay with. (laughs) So um, my grandmother passed away shortly after I met her uh, ovarian cancer, but I still have a relationship with grandpa. He is a salty old dog and um, he checks in with me from time to time. He lives about an hour from here with his uh, new wife who is absolutely wonderful. So, and I have a relationship with my aunties again. They came to my wedding and it was really cool. Like uh, they live down, uh, one of them lives uh, about an hour and a half from here. One of them lives about four hours from here. We see each other at least once a year Um, and we chat all the time and it's really nice. So I have like some amazing humans in my life that are family and I have my cousins back. And then it took, after I left home, my mother basically played the same storyline that she did with her mom with me. So I was, uh, my brothers and sisters were told that I had gone to Chicago to sleep around, to get drunk, to do drugs, that I was suicidal, that I was demon possessed, um, that it was their fault that I left, um, anything she could do to them that would eventually hurt me. So I would send boxes of Christmas presents and she would open them up rewrap them and give them as gifts from her. Um, My letters that I sent to my siblings would be ripped to shreds, put back in an envelope and mailed back to me. Um, I wasn't allowed to talk to them. I had uh, a situation happened where I was calling my, my family every night when I first moved to Japuza. And I was calling them every night from the hallway phone because at Trapuza, you weren't allowed to have a phone in your room because what if you use that for phone sex or to talk to somebody you weren't allowed to? <sighs> um, so they had uh, on each side of the building, they had a phone in the hallway. And so I would sit in the second floor hallway and call and talk to my siblings. I'd talk to each one of them, check on them, how you doing, they'd cry, I'd cry. And then I'd talk to Papa. And he would tell me how much he missed me and how lonely he was without me and how life's just not the same because I was his girlfriend and he was heartbroken, um, which he can go sit on a stick and spin. And then my mother would get on the phone and proceed to spend anywhere from a half an hour to an hour telling me that it's my fault that her marriage is suffering, that it's my fault that the kids are sad and heartbroken and hurting that I have called, caused all this trauma. And then I need to get my ass home. And there was a, a young lady who uh, lived at Chapuza. She was married, had a couple of kids and she had a room. So at, at the Jesus people, it, it was the old Chelsea Hotel building in Chicago. And so everybody got a hotel room. Well, not everybody. The couples got a room and then their kids got a room. And then usually there was a single brother or a single sister that shared the room with their kids, which, yeah, there's, there's a lot of bad things that happened at the Chapuza because of that. Because when you move random single people who have just come in off the street that you don't know into a room with small children, bad things can happen. And they did. Um, I actually shared a room with two little girls when I was living there. Um, The single people were usually packed into a room two or three at a time. So like you'd have loft beds. Um, I was lucky enough to get a bottom bunk. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, But Julie would sit in her room and listen to my mother scream at me on the phone. And after a couple of weeks of this, she came out and she stood in front of me and I'm sitting there just sobbing listening to my mother, absorbing all of this venom that my mother was shooting at me. And she stood over me and she goes, hang up the phone. And I was like, no, 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 you don't hang up on mama. Bad scene. Nope, nope, nope. And she's like, Jesse, you don't deserve to be treated this way. Hang up, the, hang up the phone. No, 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 no. And she got right in my face and she goes and realized this is a Christian community. So, um, but she goes, you are a child of the king. You do not deserve to be treated this way. Hang up the, hang up the f-. click. And she hung the phone up. So I stopped talking to my mom after that. It was the first time anybody told me that I was worth something. Or rather, it was the first time that I heard That I was worth something. And so I stopped talking to my mother, which meant that I was no longer allowed to talk to my siblings. So I didn't see them, hear from them, or talk to them for 17 years. And I just kept waiting. Every year I would celebrate their birthday and be like, okay, Judah's 16. I've only got two more years and he'll come find me. And then nothing happened. And then the next kid would come up and I'd be like, OK, this one's turning 19. This one's turning 18 this year. And then nothing happened. And Finally, my oldest brother got married to this teeny tiny little Mexican lady. Like she is this tall and long hair, cute as a button, round and adorable. And she kicked his ass and was like, you know that your mother is crazy. You talk about your sister all the time. Call her, call her now, stop messing around and call her. And so he was like, so he's a truck driver and he's like, Hey, so I dropped stuff off at, at Kent up the road from where you live. And, um, would, would you be willing to meet me? And I'm like, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's about damn time. Let's do it. And so we literally stood in the parking lot, um, next to his truck for like, three hours and just talked kind of unpacked a bunch of stuff like he had been told that I was crazy, that I was dangerous. And it it was really scary for him to realize how much he'd been lied to. It took about two years of talking back and forth with all the siblings. And I finally went down to North Carolina and got to visit with all of them, meet them and hear all of their stories and apologize because I it's not my fault that me leaving created trauma, but me leaving still created trauma. And just because as like, just from an adult perspective, I needed to do what I needed to do to be safe. And I did the right thing. My mo- it's not my fault. It's my mother's fault for creating the trauma that she created around my, le- my leaving. But that doesn't change the fact that my little brother, Judah, slept on the sofa because I promised that I was going to be home in two weeks, every night for two weeks, waiting for me to walk in the door. He lost his memory after that. The trauma from me leaving. Like, um, so one of the conversations we had, he was like, yeah, I completely lost my memory from eight years old to 12 years old. I have no memory of what happened during those years. I remember sleeping on the couch waiting for you to come home. And my next memory was staring at the noose that I had made and hung up in the barn. Buddy. So we talked through a lot of stuff and we've been back in contact for like 10 years now. Um, I got to go to my baby sister's wedding. So I was there and she got married and it was so cool. I had... um, Uh, all of my brothers, so obviously mama and papa were not invited to the wedding. Um, all of the kids have gotten out and gotten away from them. And so each one of my brothers took turns, um, dancing with her for the father daughter dance. And my oldest brother walked her down the aisle and it was magic. And I'm sitting there holding my baby niece and just sobbing. And it was just, it was, it was magic to have this relationship. And I realized in that moment, my mother took me away from my grandmother and my grandfather and my aunties and my uncle and my cousins and created a world where I was alone. And then when I left home, she tried again. She took me away from all of my siblings. And at the end of the day, she's not invited to this, she's the one who ended up alone. And that was very vindicating and healing. And the next morning I got up and it had been 20 years since I talked to her and I called her phone and I said, Hey, I'm in town and I'd like to have tea with you. Not dinner. I'm not, I'm not eating with this woman. That's not an option. We are not going to be there this long. But I had gotten to the point in my therapy where I needed to actually see the monsters that I grew up with and recognize that they were not hunched behind every corner, that I wasn't being watched, that they were just people. You know, when you're a small person and um, you lose an adult in your life, it's really easy for you to either idealize them or demonize them. And my parents were monsters. And so my now husband went with me, my best friend in the whole world, who um, is my rock, was... Furious that she didn't go get to go meet my mom because she's been a part of all of this story. She has been a part of me writing this story. She has edited the book with me. Like she has, she helped design the cover. Like this, she knows my story. She has gone through all forty-five of these boxes with me, one page at a time, and held me while I cried. And she was so mad that she never got a chance to meet my mom. But I was like, no, my my fiance needs to go with me. This is kind of one of those moments where he needs to be my rock in the situation. She was so mad. So she calls me up and she's like, okay. I said, all right, I'm going to go do this. And she's like, okay, most important question. What are you wearing? (laughs) Blue jeans and a shirt. And she's like, no, no, what shirt? I got to know. I got to know what you're going to look like for this. Um, But the town that my uh, family lived in, Uh, still lives in is really tiny itty bitty little town there is no internet service there is no phone service so if you leave the internet at my little brother's house and drive into town you don't get to use your phone until you're back at his house so we drive out to um this little tiny tiny mexican restaurant sat down to have tea with my mother and my stepfather my stepfather Expectedly mopey, looking at me like I was his long-lost girlfriend. My mother tried really hard to engage me in um, manipulative conversation. Well, you know, my only goal now is to outlive my pets. And I'm like, really? Really? And my fiancé goes, really? What kind of pets do you have? Yes. Staying on point. Staying on track. Awesome. Awesome. And they ask a bunch of questions, which I pointedly did not answer because they don't need to know what's going on in my life. And I got up from the table. We were done. I was like, "Okay, I'm I'm done. I've done my due diligence. I've seen that they are humans and not monsters. I can walk away from this situation now and never have to see them again. And so we stood up and I turned to my stepfather. And I was going to read him the riot act in public in the middle of this restaurant. I was going to tell the world exactly what he had done to me. And I looked him dead in the face. And I realized that the phrase. Not worth the breath in my lungs. Fit. I didn't need to say shit to him. He could die in a hole. I'm done. And turned around and walked out. And we get out to the car. My fiance goes. So how you doing? I was like, are you kidding me right now? I feel like I need a wheelbarrow for my testicles. Like, I am queen of the world. I have conquered everything. So we get back to the house. We, I was staying with my little brother. And we get back to the house. And as soon as my phone hit the internet, it blew up with messages from June. Where are you? Are you dead? What is happening? Did you talk to her? Were you? Did she light you on fire and dump you in a lake somewhere? Like, what is happening? <laughs> So I get back, and of course, and and from all of my siblings because they don't all live like necessarily in the same area. Like one of them lives down in Charlotte, one of them lives in Virginia, and so they were all like, "What do we need? Like we're here for you. What is happening?" And so I got got like, my little brother's like, "Tell me what happened." I'm like, "Hang on. If I don't call June this minute, she's gonna call the cops." So I get on the phone with June. I'm like, this is what happened. I'm fine. I feel great. We had a big bonfire that night and filled in the whole family on what had happened and I never saw them again. My stepfather passed away last year. Um, My mother is currently living somewhere in Virginia with a new man. No surprise. She can't be without somebody to control. Um, And from what I understand, the cops have been called on her several times for domestic violence. Because she is a big, violent, dangerous woman. So she is living a very miserable life and I'm okay with that. Um, She has read my book. I've gotten that question several times. And the reason I know that she's read my book is because I I got an email, uh, a message on Instagram rather. From a young woman who lives in North Carolina, and she's like, "Hey, I just want you to know, I read your book, and it was really great, and I, I just appreciate that you wrote it." And I'm like, "Cool," because I get I get messages like that from time to time, being an author. And I was like, "Cool, thank you for reading. I really appreciate it. I'm glad you enjoyed it." She goes, "Yeah, um, I don't know if you want to hear from me or not. I'm your mom's best friend." Excuse me? What's happening right now? Okay, um. Sure, I'd love to hear from you. What's going on? And she goes, I mean, ex-best friend. I read your book. Your mom's not in my life anymore. Okay. How did you find out about my book? And She goes, your mother gave it to me, handed me this book and said that this story will make even her most loyal friends question their loyalty. Oh, that's so delicious. I'm going to lick all my fingers like, oh, that's so good. So Mama's read the book. And um, that was the extent of the drama that ensued, which was actually one of my biggest fears, was that there was going to be drama from one of my parents. Um, I have no idea whether or not Papa read the book. I hope he did. I really hope he did. He did not come off looking good in this book. And a lot of people have asked, like, did they go to jail? Like, your mother was um, accused of felony kidnapping. Your stepfather was accused of assaulting you as a child. Like, what happened? And Mama spent three days in jail after the kidnapping. Um, I was in hiding for two years. I lived with different families all over the state. Um, And the Mama was a part of an organization called the Lelechi League which is still uh, still going on, and it's a pro-nursing organization, which awesome, good for them. Um, but they sent letters to the judge along with the cult that she was in sent letters to the judge saying that um, she was a nursing mother, she couldn't be away from her child, um, you're doing irreparable damage to the child by keeping her away from her nursing baby, um, she's an upstanding member of the community, like, you need, you need to let her out. And so she got out of jail. She got five years probation for felony kidnapping. My stepfather, they couldn't get a conviction on because I had been trained on what to say. So I actually have a recording that my grandmother had of me when I was seven years old being interviewed by a social worker. They brought in a male social worker to interview me about sexual abuse and couldn't understand why I didn't want to talk about it. Things were different in the 80s. So, yeah, so Papa never saw jail, but he never touched me again after that. But, yeah, that's – I hope that answers the question. Long way around.
0: And that's okay. I think, you know, it's it's truly great to hear – you know, that all of your siblings got out um you've made peace with a lot of situations and um you mentioned therapy which has obviously helped uh oh my god you know for you to be able to write the book unpack all of this um now i do want to ask one final question being that you know you were married in a bad situation you now have a husband it's a good situation how did you find yourself able to be like trusting of another partner and find a good one?
1: Oh, that's a good question. That's a great question. So I was very happy being single after my divorce. Um, I was living in Seattle. I was working for a little nonprofit out here. Um, I was going dancing. I'm a swing dancer. Um, and so I was going swing dancing and had this wonderful community of friends around me. And then I started going blues dancing, which if you've never heard of blues dancing, look it up. It's the best thing in the whole world. It looks like what blues music sounds like. Like it's chef's kiss. Um, and I was, uh, taxi dancing one night, uh, which taxi dancing is you wear a band around your arm, black and white checkers, and that band signifies that you will say yes to anyone who comes and asks you to dance, and your job as a taxi dancer is to get people who are new out onto the dance floor, get them to dance a couple of dances, encourage them to come back, we build our community this way, kind of like church, and so here comes this new guy, and I'm like, hey new guy, you're adorable, let's dance. And I won the frickin' lottery because, oh, my God, was he a good dancer. Oh, he was such a good dancer. And I was like, okay, this is great. So I asked him to dance again. And it was an even better dance. And I was like, uh-oh. And so I developed a dance crush. And here's what you do when you get a dance crush. Because when you get on the dance floor and the chemistry is just right, it's really easy to be like, hmm, isn't he dreamy? And what you do is you go, oh. I'm so hot. I'm going to go sit outside and cool off. And if they're interested, they follow you. And usually what happens is you talk about four or five minutes and you realize that we should not be talking anymore. Let's just dance. It just clears that right up. And that didn't happen. It, it didn't happen. And so we talked a lot and then he came to the next dance that I was at and we talked some more and you know, he, um, Uh, We finally got to the point where he was like, hey, do you want to have dinner with me? And I was like, "Okay, but it's not a date. We're just friends. I'm not actually I waited until the end of dinner to inform him that this was not a date. So he's he's a very patient man. Um, But we went out to dinner and we had kind of this moment of just like, "Okay, as grownups, let's unpack this. What's your baggage? Like, what am I getting into for real here? Um, He's brilliant he's a computer engineer he rides a motorcycle uh-huh. um he's you know he plays four instruments like there are all of these things that I'm very attracted to and he goes yeah and you know my biggest baggage is I have four kids and I went what I do not have children Mint conditioned uterus I'm not interested in having children and I was like huh I don't I don't think I mind Hmm. interesting And he's like, what about you? What's your biggest baggage? Now, I left the Jesus people because I had an affair. I had gotten to the point in my marriage where I, um, because of course at Chapuza, divorce is not an option in the particular religion that I was involved in. Um, Completely unacceptable. And so the only out for me was to unalive myself. And I was trying to figure out the best way to do that where I wouldn't traumatize the people that I cared about, including my now ex-husband. And I had an affair. It was what saved my life. Um, Do not recommend, to clarify, highly do not recommend. Oh my God, so much bad. Oh, and a lot to unpack there too. Um, But I'm sitting across from this guy that I really liked and was really interested in. And I've been very upfront about the fact that I have this failing, this giant mistake that I made in my life. Um, with all of my friends, like, I'm, I'm just honest about it. Like, hey, this is a thing that happened and I wish it hadn't. And here's this guy that I really like. I don't want to tell him. But I told him. And I waited, figuring, well, you know, it's it's been fun getting to know him. He'll just be a dance friend. And he looks at me and he goes, Chicago, huh? What brought you to Chicago? Not even a blip on his radar. Just like, okay, that was the thing that happened. That was the thing that you did. That is not who you are. And so we've been together for almost 15 years. Um, I adore his children. They are my heart. Uh, Our oldest is 32 our baby is 24. We have four grandbabies, uh, ages 12 to 3. And I like my, my life is lived for them. Like, I live right around the corner from three of them. I'm two hours from the fourth one. And like, we're actually getting together for Father's Day next week, buying a big swimming pool for the backyard. Like, my life is absolutely full of joy. So, learning to trust again was a very slow process. I, um, made a point to say, I'm going to look at this relationship for two weeks. And if we have two weeks together and it's still good, we'll look at the next two weeks. And then eventually it was like maybe a month. And then it was like maybe, maybe two months. And then I met his kids and I was like, I see a future with this person. And that's really weird. But it took us a long time before we got to the point where we were ready to get married. Um. So we've been married for six years, seven years, so seven years, I think, I don't know, <laughs> something like that.
0: Right, well, it's it's wonderful to hear, you know, kind of, you know, how you, you got to trusting again, you're in a good place with your life and everything. Um, so I'm so happy that that is, you know, where your story is now. And, you know, you had the opportunity to, to write this book, um, yeah. So at the end of all my episodes, I do ask a random question that doesn't have to do with anything we've been talking about. So my question for you is where do you get your news?
1: Ooh, ooh, that's a good question. Okay, don't judge me. I have three places that I get my news. Stephen Colbert. (laughs) Seth Meyers, who I absolutely love, and believe it or not, TikTok. I get so much news and information from TikTok, it's ridiculous. Um, I will like see a TikTok and go, no way. Oh, that's fascinating. Okay, now I'm going to Google it and find out if it's true.
0: (laughs) All right, that brings this episode to a close. So, of course, if you would like to connect with Jessie, her website will be in the description. So that will... Bring you to all of her social media, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. They'll also bring you to uh, where you can buy her book, Girl Hidden, so if you'd like to hear more details on her story, it is her memoir, so feel free to go check that out. And if you'd like to connect with the podcast, our website is also in the description. It brings you to our social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, you can always feel free to email me. That is the best way to be in touch. And that is right in the description as well. There is also a link if you would like to support the podcast monetarily. That's always appreciated. So thank you so much, Jesse, for spending time with me today. And to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time, bye.
1: Bye.